0: Hello, and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, and my guest today is Ji Kim, the chef and owner of Miss Kim, an award winning Korean restaurant in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she draws inspiration from the local farms, her own mother's cooking, and a fair amount of research that she has done into regional Korean dishes and Korean food throughout history. I am surprised and delighted about how popular Korean food and Korean-inspired food has become in the United States and, and how quickly that has happened. Ten years ago, you pretty much had to go to Korean neighborhoods or the occasional independent restaurant to get a taste of things like kimchi and gochujang. But now, they're all over the place, and actually called by their names. When California Tortilla, a small restaurant chain in the Washington DC area, became the first chain that I know of to use gochujang in 2015, they called it Korean barbecue sauce, which honestly is still how it's uh, referred to at a lot of restaurants, which is fair. But the following year, when another regional chain, Noodles & Company, out of Broomfield, Colorado, Use gochujang in a sauce for its Korean barbecue meatballs. They did, in fact, call it gochujang. And now you can find kimchi, the other charismatic ingredient, I guess, uh, in Korean cooking. Uh, You can find it on sandwiches and stews and fried rice and pretty much anywhere else that you might want to find something that's sour and spicy. Around 15 years ago, I used to ask Korean-American friends why they thought Korean food wasn't more popular in the United States, and and they tended to say things like, Korean food had distinctive and idiosyncratic flavors that non-Koreans didn't really understand. But Korean food, as it's mostly existed in the Western world 15 years ago and still today, for the most part, comes in the form of Korean barbecue, gochujang, and kimchi, which is to say grilled meat, barbecue sauce, and pickles. These are things that mainstream Americans can get behind, and I often wondered what took it so long. Sometimes you need cultural touchstones outside of food to get people excited about a cuisine, and the successive aspects of Korean culture in the United States including their music, films such as the 2019 Oscar award-winning film Parasite, and television series such as last year's Netflix hit Squid Game certainly provide that. It doesn't seem to me that those elements have necessarily contributed to the popularity of Korean food, but maybe they have. It's, it's hard to understand how cultural influence is kind of get into the American psyche. I think maybe charismatic Korean American chefs such as Roy Choi and David Chang have had more to do with the popularity of uh, Korean cuisine. And I'd like to think that the deliciousness of Korean food has something to do with it too, but it has been delicious for for decades, generations, centuries probably, and non-Koreans barely took notice. As Jihae Kim will tell you, Korean food is a lot more than grilled meat and pickled cabbage. In fact, it's really a vegetable-focused cuisine, and Kim has incorporated the produce of the Upper Midwest into her cooking at Miss Kim. Stay tuned, and you'll learn more about that. In fact, you'll learn more about that right now. Please enjoy my conversation with Jihae Kim. Jihae Kim. You got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, the owner of uh, Miss Kim in Ann Arbor, Michigan. How are you? That's right. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I, I'm, I'm good. And you opened in 2016, right?
1: Yes, we did, the election year, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry, you reminded me of that. Um, and how, how did you end up in Ann Arbor?
1: Oh, well, you know, you go to college like states away because you wanna you wanna move away from mom and then you met a guy and then you sort of settle down, your new college town becomes your hometown.
0: And so where where you you're originally from South Korea, right?
1: Yeah, Seoul Korea, and then I moved to New Jersey when I was 13. Okay. And
0: you come from a cooking family, right?
1: Did I come with my family?
0: No, no, you, you come from a family of cooks, right? You, your family has a cooking background, is that right?
1: Oh, uh, no, not technically. My, uh, my grand-aunt had one of the biggest uh, Korean restaurants in New Jersey in the 90s. And my aunt has a, a sushi restaurant in upstate New York, but none of them actually are cooks. I think the closest thing would be my mother. She's not a professional cook, but she's like the best cook in the family.
0: That must have been what I was reading, that your, your cooking is based on your mother's cooking. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, uh, she's definitely a huge inspiration. And then when I was looking into uh, different types of Korean cooking and like sort of going more in-depth into Korean cooking, I realized a lot of food that she was making was uh, – regional cooking from where she was from. Uh, she's from Gyeonggi, uh, Providence, which includes uh, Seoul. So what I thought just vaguely as Korean food was actually central Korean food. And then I learned that there's North Korean food is different and South, Southern, Southern uh, Korean food is different. So those were all really fun discoveries for me.
0: So and how did you go on that journey? What, why did you decide to start exploring Korean cuisine?
1: Okay. I guess the uh, short version is that I missed my mother's cooking. And while there are a lot of great Korean restaurants in Michigan, nothing that really felt like a homemade mom's cooking. So then I started cooking on my own. The long answer is I had a student visa that was in and out um, of status. And And uh, most of my life until in my mid 20s, I had to do stuff to either keep my status up or what's expected of me. So the question after graduating college became, what is it that I want to do instead of what is it that I have to do or what I should do? Then I started sort of looking into what I enjoy rather than like making a paycheck, for example. And then that's how I ended up being a food industry.
0: That's fun. So you always liked cooking. What did you study at Michigan?
1: I studied political science and economics.
0: Did you want to become a politician or a political science professor? Or did you just want to have a nice college education? Like I, I majored in history, so it's a similar kind
1: of thing. Oh, I think it's because I, I recognized from a young age as an immigrant that politics and law has real life consequences on on everyday uh, people and it was definitely having an impact on my life and i wanted to sort of look into that a little more and i think that came in handy even after i became a chef because it colors uh what we do at miss kim restaurant as well how so Oh, I think the easiest uh, low-hanging fruit example would be during the pandemic. We made sure our staff are safe. We made sure we provided community meals. We think about sustainability and environment. Those are all things that we consider in our everyday practices.
0: I see. And so at Miss Kim, you focus on also on the cuisine of Seoul, or is it a mixed bag of all of the wonderful melting pot of cuisines that Korea has to offer?
1: It's more, I would say it's more of a mixed bag because I get my inspiration from so many different places. Two major inspiration would be Michigan farmers. It's my favorite part of my job walking around in right now actually late, like mid to late August and early September, Michigan produce is so beautiful. And then my other inspiration would be uh, my ancestors. So I, I looked into what my mom was doing, but she's not very forthcoming with the family secrets. So then I had to look even deeper and farther in. And Korea has, you know, a wealth of reproduced ancient cookbooks. From I think the earliest one I have is from 14th century. And there are multiples um, written in various angles, whether that's a farmer's almanac or from medicinal purposes or fermentation and preservation or from aristocratic families, you know, handing down their recipes. So I started looking into those and I'm really glad to hear that you're a history major, because I also really love history, because to me, it's a long, big story. So... When I was looking into the recipes, I really liked sort of connecting the story of Korean people to the food of Korea. So all those things uh, play into the menu at Miss Kim. My personal experience obviously goes in and because I'm an immigrant, immigrant uh, story also interests me. So I look at what other Korean expats and immigrants have produced outside of their homeland. So yeah, all those things come in. So it ends up being a menu that's uh, rooted in traditional cuisine and traditional dishes, but maybe uh, a more unique take on them.
0: Well, you, you have, as you said, uh, the bounty of Michigan produce to work with and other, other states in the upper Midwest. So how does that uh, get incorporated into the, the food that you make at Ms. Kim?
1: Yeah, yeah. so I, I mean, one of the most famous dishes uh, in Korean cuisine would be kimchi, right? So uh, let me use that example. So kimchi, is, and you may have heard this already, kimchi is as much a uh, technique as it's a dish. So, you know, if you think I'm getting a sandwich and then I'm getting a pickle, everybody understands that that pickle is probably cucumber pickle, but you can turn any vegetable access vegetable into a pickle, right? Kimchi is the same way. So kimchi is, if you say kimchi, everybody thinks it's Napa cabbage kimchi and that's, that's understood. But you can turn kimchi, like you can turn any vegetable or even fish into kimchi product. So then when I understand that and understand that kimchi is a seasonal product, because if you're preserving something, then you're preserving things out of their season. Like you grab them in season and then you, try to make it available out of their season right so things like beets or jerusalem artichoke or uh, i don't know celery egg things like that are not really native or even like it's it's getting popular now but it's fairly new to korean people in korea but in michigan it grows really well so then i didn't always i didn't grow up eating beets and i didn't always love beets but Now that I had farm grown beets that uh, heirloom varieties and Michigan farmers slaved away under the sun to uh, bring to life, it's a completely different product. And then my mind goes to, oh, we have so much of it. I'm gonna use the whole vegetable. So I'm gonna use the beet greens and I'm gonna use beets as well. And then I'm gonna preserve it and I'm gonna turn it into kimchi. So I think um, sort of that kind of thought process goes on a lot in my head when I go to farmer's market and walk around. How
0: do you do your research into uh, finding new recipes or even uh, kind of understanding your mother's techniques since she and many, many parents, especially immigrant parents, aren't that forthcoming? They don't really want to talk about, you know, what they have to go through.
1: Yeah, I mean, I started looking at the ancient cookbooks because my mom was so secretive about her recipes, right? Um And well, first, I'm lucky enough still to really uh, am very fluent in Korean. So I get a lot of uh, books straight from Korea that's unavailable in the United States. And because I love uh, studying history, then it's sort of, I start making connections. So like modern Korean cuisine has a lot to do with uh, Korean War. So like Japanese colonization happens, and that's a big, like, Catalyst for change in Korean cuisine. So a lot of like, um, before we were known as hermit Kingdoms, so our borders were closed, but then Japanese colonization forces to open the borders. So that means Japanese, Chinese, like all these other, even Portuguese influences start coming in. And then Korean war happens. And that's when you start seeing like spam, for example, or a lot of dairy products come in and now we love them. So, making uh, sort of connections like that um, is uh, a lot of fun for me. And it, it's, it really, frankly, doesn't feel like research or work. It sounds, it feels like entertainment.
0: Yeah, I mean, that sounds fun. So, but you couldn't just go online and look things up. It sounds like you had to order, find books and order them to be sent to you from South Korea.
1: Well, you can Google stuff in Korean and they would have more information just because, you know, it's in Korean. So they'll have more vast uh, resources. But yes, I I order a lot of uh, cookbooks from Korea and sometimes cookbooks are not out in circulation that that much. Sometimes it comes and goes really fast. So I, I have to ask my family members, send them a link and then ask them to purchase it and then ship it to me.
0: And what do you do in terms of ingredients? Are are there still uh, herbs or vegetables or fruits in uh, Korean cooking that you can't get in Michigan?
1: Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has only made it worse. Um, So most of artisanally produced uh, products um, is difficult to get, like artisanal uh, soy sauce or gochujang or tenjang. Um, they may come all the way to L.A. or uh, New York, but they don't come all the way to me. So then I, I try to make do and try to be resourceful, like most of uh, ancestors when they're faced with shortage of anything. So instead of having a really beautifully produced heirloom, uh, uh, soy sauce, I may uh, make a a seasoned soy sauce in house. So I may like, you know, stew it with lots of vegetables and seaweed, sort of like impart some depth and complexity to it without having to have somebody who had the uh, uh, soy sauce that came down generations to generations and generations that doesn't come all the way to Michigan. In terms of produce, it's gotten a lot better. There is a seed company outside of, I think it's LA, definitely California called Second Generation Second Generation Seeds. And these are Korean American farmers that are bringing in heirloom seeds of uh, Korean vegetables and herbs. And they test it and they grow it. They really look into it and we can get those seeds. So I work with Michigan farmers here every like, you know, early winter, like early June, January or like February, we'll sit down and look at the seed catalogs and pick stuff out that they will grow for me specifically. So now I have access to really good perilla leaves or uh, uh, heirloom uh, peppers from Korea. That's uh, seeds came all the way from Korea to California to Michigan and grown in the soils of Michigan and now served in my restaurant.
0: That's cool. So yeah. what are some uh, dishes at your restaurant that reflects either regional Korean cuisine or Korean cuisine as influenced by Michigan produce or just dishes that you're proud of? Tell me, tell me about some of your dishes.
1: Yeah, uh, some, uh, one of the dishes that I really like is called dakokki. So it's, a, it's a, a spicy rice cakes. Uh, you see it everywhere in, in Korea. Like it's the most quintessential street food in Korea. I grew up eating it, you know, off the street behind my mom's back when I, when I was in elementary school in Korea. Um, and you see uh, a sort of like a soupy gochujang variations of it a lot in many different Korean restaurants too, but um, recently um you see different iterations now um in my restaurant because it's such a quintessential quintessential street food and because i also grew up with it i felt that if i'm gonna like mess with it i have to really give it the due respect and understand the story of that dish so i sort of looked it up because i felt that like the fact that i grew up eating it is just not enough because my experience alone is just my experience, it's limiting. So when I looked at it, I realized that this was now, now most common version is sort of a soupy, stewy dish with maybe little vegetables, uh, maybe scallions and cabbage. Maybe it will have some uh, fish cakes in it. And, And then it's like scoop and serve. But before it was very expensive dish. It was sauteed rather than stewed and it had various different ingredients like eggs and mushrooms and many different vegetables and meat and it was more soy sauce based rather than chili paste based and and it sort of goes through a change during Korean War when the rice cake's really expensive and um, and they uh, we're trying to make it tasty without adding all the experience, uh, expensive ingredients. And somehow gochujang makes into it, gochujang is delicious. So it makes it, uh, tasty without having to put in like, you know, 2 million ingredients and that version becomes very popular and it becomes what it is now. And my people, Korean people like to claim 5,000 year history. So if the dish is popular from 1970, it's fairly new. Right. So, Yeah. Understanding that whole narrative and, and understanding my experience with it made me feel more confident in uh, creating different versions of it in my restaurant. So I have a street version, but it's sauteed, like the older version. And, uh, and uh, so that rice, crisp, uh, rice is crispy on the outside and like chewy and pillowy on the inside. And then we have a soy sauce version more directly uh, inspired by the uh, 7th, 18th century one. And that, that's, uh, we made it uh, vegetarian or uh, we made it vegan because we didn't think it really needed a lot of meat, but the vegetable, and we, we make sure it has, it's soy sauce based and then it has mushrooms. Well, we. Uh, rotate the vegetables to seasonal vegetables so whatever it's in season so it gets all sort of like uh, pan fried in a hot hot pan and then comes off and and it gets served to you piping hot and it's uh, lots of plain texture and all of my Korean friends are like Americans don't like like rice cakes they're not going to enjoy this dish but this dish is in fact one of our best sellers.
0: Well, there you go, and our, our, I assume that most of your customers are not Korean, although there's probably a substantial Korean community in Ann Arbor.
1: There is a good-sized Korean community in Ann Arbor uh, by the default of University of Michigan, uh, and Ann Arbor is fairly diverse. And I would say uh, my customer base reflects that. So it's it's hard pressed for me to say what the customer base is like. Uh, Ann Arbor is uh, majority white, so you do see uh, more white people than people of color, but you do see plenty of people of color and LGBTQ and younger people and older people, and uh, we, have, uh, we have Korean American kids going to school, bringing in their families and and mothers and fathers uh, in for graduation and then really liking the food, so yeah, yeah, a whole gamut of different people. That
0: That's cool, it has to be satisfying both to appeal to Koreans in Ann Arbor uh, who have an understanding of traditional Korean food and everybody else who might not have that kind of understanding. Do they order very differently?
1: Um, They order actually similarly, but I think um, it's uh, hard to simplify because Koreans are not a monolith. So there's uh, Korean Americans who are born here and then there are Korean Americans who moved here after they became adults, and their food experience is very different. So uh, the ones that really like sink to my heart is when older uh, generation of Korean people come in and say that like, "Oh, your soy butter rice reminds me of the bowl of rice that I used to make my- make for myself and eat it in the '70s," or uh, things like that. That really like gets to my heart.
0: Yeah, that's.
1: Yeah, it's, it's difficult to compete with anybody's uh, uh, fond memories of cooking with your grandmother. So,
0: Right. Although if, if you are a Korean American born in, in the United States, you might not know anything about Korean food. You might know about, you know, American fast food or whatever else. It just depends.
1: Yeah, yeah. Your experience as a Korean American may, uh, you know, it may vary vastly.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what, what are some other dishes that are popular at your restaurant? Ms. Kim.
1: It's, it's funny to me that I, I am not a vegetarian by any means, but I love vegetables. So in the past few years, um, my vegan and vegetarian dishes have gotten really popular. And I think it's because when I was growing up and when my mom was cooking me, uh, tofu dishes, I hated them. So when I'm making them for the restaurant, I try to make sure it's really, really tasty, whether you're vegan or vegetarian or meat eater and meat lovers. So one of the most popular dishes, Korean fried tofu. It's, uh, yeah, it's deep fried tofu in uh, very, very light batter of rice flour and cornstarch. So the batter is extra crispy, but it's not weighed down in any way. And so it creates like a, a, almost like a shell that you can crack into. But the tofu that I use is a soft tofu. So you have this uh, like con- contextual difference, uh, textural difference between like super crispy outside and then like, you know, custardy soft uh, uh, tofu in the middle. And it comes out piping hot, where it's served with a cool pickle. And I think uh, that's a dish that's very popular.
0: How do you coat soft tofu in, in, uh... A batter. I feel like it would kind of fall apart and ooze around. Like, did it take a
1: while to figure that out? You do it very gently. (laughs) So um, (laughs) we don't do we don't use a a super 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 soft that that kind of like is a pudding, but we use a soft tofu. And if you cut it and handle it very well, then it stays intact. And then this is okay. I'm going to give you all my secret. So the secret is. It's a two-part batter. So you have to dust the tofu with the dry mix. So it sort of holds shape and then the uh, wet batter sticks to it. Because if you don't do that, the batter just slides off of uh, soft tofu, which has a higher moisture content.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's true with a lot of things that we batter. We start by dusting it with something and then we put it in a, or an egg wash and then we dust it and then a batter. And that's
1: right. Butter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It just slays off uh, tofu so much faster.
0: Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's cool that you're serving a lot of uh, delicious vegetarian and vegan dishes because, there, I mean, there's no reason. I, I eat everything, but there's no reason why you can't 100% love a delicious vegetable dish. You don't need to put meat in everything and uh
1: Yeah, and I I also think that it's very true to a more typical traditional Korean diet. Uh, It's well-rounded, but it's uh, vegetable heavy. And I mean, if you're by the seaside, then it will be more seafood heavy, but it's not uh, a protein-centric cuisine. Protein sort of like plates, like a seasoning kind of quality. So Mm -hmm. there may be one main protein and then like 12 different kinds of vegetables. So for us to have well-made meat and fish dishes, but have more, more than half the menu more vegetable focused, and, and you know, some of them are vegetable focused, but not, not vegetarian because you may have fish sauce, but it's definitely the vegetables that are taking the center stage. And I think that that's, uh, that's by design. That has always been the goal for the restaurant to have uh, a menu that celebrates vegetables.
0: And is your service style the traditional Korean style where you have a whole bunch of banchan to have along with whatever else you're going to be eating?
1: It's interesting that you asked that because that was the initial vision. But then I saw so many plates of uh, uh, banchan coming back without being finished. And that just like broke my heart. Right. So in the middle of the first year, we changed it. So we lower the prices a little bit and then made the uh, banchan optional so you can order it and um if you'd like but if you're not interested in it then you don't have to order it and that made our I actually think that that made our menu better because when you're eating Korean food and all the bantan comes like kimchi and all the pickled stuff provides a lot of texture and acidity so your meat dish don't necessarily need to have that and then the diner sort of makes their own perfect bite. Mm-hmm. But if the banchan doesn't come with it automatically, then I have to really think about how to make a dish a complete dish on its own without having banchan to sort of like catch that. So I think I think, uh, I think that uh, not having banchan worked out for us as a, a automatic um, serve.
0: Interesting. And did it, did it help you manage costs also? Because not only is it heartbreaking when your, your banchan comes back uneaten, but also, you know, you had to spend money on that.
1: Yeah, I honestly, maybe I should have taken banchan off the menu as an automatic uh, add and not lower the prices, but we did lower the prices a little bit to reflect that. So it didn't make that much impact on food costs. It was just, it just reduced the food waste
0: but that's important. Yeah. And as you said, that's that's part of the, the ethos of your, your restaurant anyway.
1: Yeah, yes. Um, yes.
0: What, what are some local uh, items, probably vegetables, but I don't know, you got a lot of good cherries right now in, in Michigan, I think. Uh, how do you incorporate that stuff in, into your menu? Yeah, um,
1: uh, I think of, um, You know, I I think of uh, ingredients maybe in categories. So there is the uh, herby vegetables and then there's the hearty vegetables. So then if I cannot find a specific type of herb then maybe I can find a substitute that's similar. And it doesn't just stay with just the vegetables only. So Korean cuisine didn't really have cane sugar until maybe like 19th century. Mm -hmm. Our sweeteners were honey and rice syrup. So you cook down the rice, cook it down slowly enough, and then the carbohydrate and <laughs> the rice becomes syrupy and sugary. So the sweeteners were rice uh, rice syrup and, uh, and uh, honey. But uh, in, at the restaurant, we, uh, we love using maple syrup and maple sugar when we can. And then we play with sorghum syrup, although sorghum is more Southern. So we, we try to sort of like think about uh, like maple syrup, sugar, 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 honey, sugar. So then we can make substitutions like that and be true to the, the dish, but also be true to where we are.
0: Well, and, and yeah, and probably true to, 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 to traditional Korean cuisine because I'm sure that in Korea, they also make dishes based on what's available and what's seasonal.
1: Absolutely. Korea is not that big, but they have very distinctive regional cuisine. So, yeah, using what's available in season is absolutely one of the tenets of Korean cuisine. You're absolutely right about that.
0: That's cool. And you guys have a mid autumn festival coming up in, we're talking in early August. So, you have that coming up in a month, right? September 10th. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I think this year, because we're going by lunar calendar, it changes every day, every year. I think this year, uh, Chuseok Falls, first week of September.
0: And how, how are you going to celebrate it?
1: I think we're going to put two specials on the menu. One is a beef and taro soup. So it's a really light beef broth with uh, nubbins of uh, new taro in it and... It's a simple brothy thing that you eat. And then uh, we're gonna put japchae on the menu. So that's uh, uh, sort of like a, it's a potato or sweet potato noodles. That's uh, uh, jet, like most often pan fried with a bunch of vegetables and the vegetable tend to be bell peppers, si- spinach, maybe carrots. And oftentimes it has eggs and uh, uh, beef in it. but. I like my version lighter than that so it's boiled noodles rather than pan fried Um, so it's not swimming in a lot of sesame oil and I like the uh, I like to incorporate a lot of uh, mushrooms that's locally available and uh, early September we're going to have so many different beautiful peppers so I'm looking forward to using Jimmy Nardello's and Padron peppers and, uh, you know, lady chewing and kyopo peppers from uh, second generation seeds. And some are sweet, some are not as, uh, some are a little spicier, put it all in there with mushrooms and ginger and scallions and have a sort of a lighter cold noodle dish that's fit for the weather.
0: That's awesome. And are those traditional sock? am I pronouncing that right, sock? The name- Yeah,
1: you're pronouncing it perfectly. yeah, uh, yeah I, I, so yeah. To, toran Toran Tang, uh, which is the taro soup, is very traditional and specific to uh, Chuseok, and our version is going to be fairly straightforward interpretation of that. Japchae is Chapche is kind of like Turkey, where like you know you eat it in Thanksgiving and that's known for it, but sometimes you eat it in Christmas. It's a, a festival dish that shows up on birthdays and and holidays and and major. Uh, major seasonal celebrations. So is a, is a, a party food.
0: Good to know. And it's also on a lot of, of Korean menus in the United States. I've seen it a lot. Yeah,
1: delicious, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, Jihei, did I pronounce your name right this time? Jihei, Jihei, yeah. Jihei Kim, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. You make me want to go to Ann Arbor, where I have never been, and eat your
1: food. Brett come visit me it's it was it was so much fun chatting with you